Hello and welcome to Two Bald Men and Friend, the show where we talk about issues and ideas using pop culture as the springboard. I'm your host, Joe, and as always, I'm joined by my co-host, Alex. Yeah, hello. And today we are joined by our friends from Story Screen Presents, Mike. Hello. And Diana. Hey there. Today we're going to be talking about perks of being a wallflower and book-to-movie adaptations. So spoiler alert for perks of being a wallflower. Sit back, relax, or if you're driving, please sit upright and continue to drive vigilantly. So Mike, Diana, before we uh, jump into the review, do you guys want to talk a little bit about your podcast and story screen? Absolutely not. All right. Oh. Well, actually, oh, no. Gosh. Sounds like a great idea, actually. <laughs> I knew uh, I should have asked beforehand. <laughs> yeah, no. We uh, Over on uh, Story Screen Presents, we have a bunch of different shows. Uh, I'm the host of a show called Overdrinkers, where we talk about retrospective movies and stuff like that uh, while consuming um, drinks, beverages, whether they are alcoholic or not. Normally, they are. Um, and then we also have shows like uh, Hot Takes, uh, where we go see new movies and immediately talk about them hot on the microphone, which is a lot of fun because we don't have a lot of time to really, uh, like figure out exactly how we feel about the movie. And so like, those are two different shows that we have and we have a bunch of other ones. Diana's actually starting up one pretty soon where we're going to be talking about, uh, coming attractions and movie trailers and stuff. Um, Diana's been on a couple of them. We did a big Marvel miniseries leading up to infinity war where we like covered all the Marvel movies, like leading up to it, which Sounded like a fun idea, but was actually really <laughs> But then when you're exhausting. like, oh man, there's it so many fun. movies. It was fun, but it was like, I'm so sick of Marvel movies for like a couple months. I mean, I, I enjoyed I, it. You mean by the time Ant-Man comes out? I'm already super psyched <laughs> about yeah, that movie. Like, seriously. That's, you put Pez dispensers in your trailer and you've got me. <laughs> um, but yeah, like you can, t- uh, if uh, the listeners are really into like that idea and all of that kind of sounds like another fun little podcast thing that they'd be into, they can go over to storyscreenbeacon.com, which is our website that has reviews and articles and a fun little store where you can buy shirts and stuff. And uh, also all of our podcasts, we have about 120 episodes now or so. And uh, they can find them anywhere they find their favorite podcast, whether it's like uh, Stitcher, SoundCloud, iTunes, under Story Screen Presents. Alrighty, awesome. Thank you. Uh, you hear that, guys? A hundred episodes. So we're with, uh, we're with the big leagues now. <laughs> um, does anyone feel like they uh, could give a pretty good synopsis of the story? Want me to? All right. Um, it's been a little bit since I've read the book. Um, but I know we'll kind of get into the differences, but I saw, I've, I've seen the movie a few times. So your main character, Charlie, is kind of uh, like a, I don't, he's not a freshman. Maybe he's a sophomore? He he's a, a freshman? freshman? He's a freshman. All right. So he's a freshman in high school and you kind of find out early on that his closest friend has recently committed suicide and he's starting school and trying to make new friends. And there's a little bit more to the story about why Charlie is the way he is, but that kind of unfolds during the course of him making some brand new friends in high school. Yeah. Um, A big part of the movie that comes from the book is that he's sort of typing letters to this anonymous stranger. He's just calling it dear friend Mm -hmm. and we don't know who that is. Right. And that's um, a big narrative aspect to the movie that usually I don't like, but I give exceptions to when it's booked to movie adaptations. And I think they did a good job in this movie. Mm. Yeah. I think they handled the narration pretty well. Um, it wasn't so much to give exposition, which is where like my trouble with narration comes. It's, it is just kind of setting the scene and it is keeping the narrative of he's writing letters to someone and basically explaining how his weaker month went. 
Yeah, I think I said a similar thing about Love, Simon, how he was typing mm-hmm. emails to his anonymous uh, lover. And, like, overall, again, I don't like the trope, but some movies handle it well. I definitely think with this being sort of like a young adult book that that is a little bit geared towards that, like, phenomenon of, like, hey, you're going to write in your journal, but it's kind of another way of doing that, so... Mm-hmm. I feel like us being a little bit older, we're like, I don't need this. But maybe if you're 15, you're pretty into it. So, Yeah. So overall, um, I'll mention that Perks of Being a Wallflower, the movie, is one of the few movies that I look for when I want to cry. And I rarely <laughs> want to cry, so I don't often watch the movie. Aww. But I do watch it maybe once a year and it gets to me every time and i know the two moments that are going to make me cry every time and i'm just waiting for them i'm just like is it it's up. a good the, cathartic experience is it sad cry or happy cry it's a sad cry sad tissues but i know that tissues yeah. sad tissues yeah, yeah. Um, no I, it's funny once um when i knew you guys were going to be doing this for your episode and i was thinking about rewatching it i you know been having kind of a stressful week and it's sometimes when you feel yeah exactly like you're like Oh, I could use a good cry right now. And I was like, maybe I should rewatch it. It's like, it'll put me in a good spot to like, have a little bit of a weep and then I'll feel better. Yeah, exactly. And because the movie ends so optimistically, mm. like even though it has those sad moments, I'm like, all right, but there's hope. Right. <laughs> but there's hope. <laughs> what are the moments that, uh, the two moments that you wait for? Oh, um, the big part is when... Charlie kisses Sam during mm. the truth or dare incident because Charlie is dating Mary Elizabeth and someone dares him to kiss the most beautiful girl in the room and he doesn't kiss his girlfriend. Uh, <laughs> Real dick move. Yeah. <laughs> which I think Ezra Miller says in the movie, which I loved. He's, yeah. He kisses Emma Watson and he just goes, oh, that's fucked up, man. That's yeah. savage. Yeah. Like, I like Charlie in this movie and at that point I'm like, oh, Dude, come on, not, no, not like that. But he even admits beforehand, he's like, what I'm about to do and how I decided to break up with Mary Elizabeth probably wasn't the best way I could have gone about it, but it's still like, he goes into beast mode. Like, it's nuts. (laughs) Um, While we're on that scene, I think this is a good kind of depiction of Charlie's point of view, because in the book, it's completely subjective. Right. And then in the movie, it gets a little bit more objective because you're actually watching it. There are moments where, like, Charlie blacks out so you don't see the scene. Or um, Charlie is imagining something so you see what he's imagining. Um, This is one of the scenes where he gets asked truth or dare and he says, truth? How's your first relationship going? I hate it. It's horrible. And I thought that's the real thing that happened. So brutal. Yeah. Yeah. And then he goes... Nope, that's not actually what happened. I got dared. Yeah. And I, think I don't it was know which him, one's better. It was him thinking, if I say truth, this is a question that's going to come up, so mm-hmm. I'm going to say dare instead. Yeah. And didn't realize the consequences of dare. Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah, he kind of like fantasizes what he'd like to do to break up with Mary Elizabeth because he's desperate to get out. Mm-hmm. And then what ends up happening is he just kind of like manifests that immediately and just like in the worst way because he not only pushes Mary Elizabeth away he pushes Sam away Mm -hmm. it's like dude you did not consider the outcome (laughs) of this at all yeah and eventually he even pushes all of his friends away too except for the bubble guy he's the only one that's hanging out with him because he's a cool dude yeah (laughs) (laughs) um and so the part that makes me sad 
is the weeks afterward where he loses all of his friends. And oh, yeah. Like the it's whole, rough. Yeah, it's, it's really difficult on him. And a big part of the book and the movie is that sense of loneliness, which I think they capture because he's very obviously ashamed and feels guilty and no one's giving him the time of day to make it up, which is reasonable. I'm not saying that yeah. they should have, yeah. but it makes me feel like really desperate. Like, come on, just, just let him, please. Right, totally. <laughs> And just that whole sequence, too, of when he, like, finally sticks up for Patrick in the cafeteria, Mm -hmm. where you're kind of feeling validated, but you're also like, this is fucked up. (laughs) Guys, stop. You know, that's also equally upsetting. In the movie, I don't think they explain where he gets his fighting from. And so that could potentially be, like, a big mystery of, like, why does he know to fight so well? That's kind of scary. Right. In the book, they do explain that his older brother, who joins the army and is, like, a football player and stuff like that, teaches him how to defend himself and explains only fight to defend other people, never to defend yourself. Uh, and so that's a nice touch that I understand why they left out. Like there wasn't really any room in there. Right. I feel like in the movie that kind of like the the fact that he blacks out when he does it is kind of like it's a it's a physical manifestation of the idea of blind rage. Yeah. Where he's so depressed, he's so lonely, he's so desperate, he doesn't know what's going on. And then somebody attacks his friend in one of the most brutal ways that you can attack a friend like that, where like dropping that f bomb coming from that his friend's lover as right. well. Right. Like that's that's the scene that shakes me up. Where it's yeah, like, that makes I've, me upset. I've known people that are uh, closeted and 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 very uncomfortable, and they put on that bravado sometimes. Like, mm-hmm. and they it really sucks because it's like there's so much self hate mm-hmm. going on there, and it's like. Charlie comes to the aid of his friend, like in this really sensitive situation and just like blacks out and just like, I don't think he like karate them, but I think he was pretty much just like so much pent up anger and anxiety. It just took one punch to each of these like football bros and they were down. They were like, and they were more shocked. It's not like they were knocked out. They were like, that kid just did this. It's different when someone is like, push to the point of where they're like, I don't have anything to lose. Yeah. And then mm-hmm. you're just like, I don't care if I get hurt. So I'm just going to town right. on this guy, you know? So uh-huh. you're like, holy crap. <laughs> Again, in the book, they do explain the types of moves that he uses are very specific to gouging their eyes out. Um, yeah. And, it's like super violent. And at the end of the fight scene in the movie, after he blacks out, he's like, and if you ever touch my friend again, I'm going to blind you. Yeah. And that's, it's because that was what he was doing. Yeah. And so it's very specific to them, like probably recognizing for the first time how vulnerable their eyes are. (laughs) 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 One of the other like standout, like sad moments for me in this was like book and movie when um, like Patrick is clearly so upset about being dumped. And Mm -hmm. then like Charlie's character pretty much just like lets Patrick kiss him. Not because he's actually attracted to men, but because he's just trying to be a good friend and uh-huh. he feels bad and like he's like, okay. And it's just kind of sad, but <laughs> you're also really like, sad. it's a really sad moment where he's like, no, you shouldn't let me do that to you. I know that's wrong. And you he, should he know apologizes. That's wrong. He's like, I'm yeah. taking advantage of you. I yeah. knew that I could do that. And right. I'm sorry, you're and, here for me. And that's like one sprinkle of recognizing that there's something wrong with yeah. Charlie. That there's like he a was little disconnect. To let that happen. Right. And he it, just kind of like, like turns off reveal. a little bit. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Yeah. In the movie, that's 
such like a really um powerful scene where like you can see on patrick's face of like what he just did and like how he kind of realizes that he needs help but also right. that um charlie is this great friend that he doesn't want to ignore anymore he's gonna you know be there for charlie just like charlie was there for him yeah, the three main characters in this movie, the actors are on fire, I think, you know, like Absolutely. Ezra Miller really kind of steals the show just because he he's like a really good talent. Yeah. This is, he's just getting started mirroring this with But he does a great need, job of this character. Yeah, but yeah. mirroring this character with We Need to Talk About Kevin, which came out the year before, which I don't know mm -hmm. if any of you guys have seen. Yeah, I have not. Total opposites. Oh, yeah. Of what they like, and we need to talk about Kevin. He is a horrifying, scary illusion of a person, yeah. and in this, he's alive, and so much emotions are like rattling around inside of him. But like, there's like a, a nice energy to it, mm -hmm. and it's really crazy. But Emma Watson and uh, Logan Lerman are are on are doing really good stuff, I... and it's fun watching stuff like this where it's like you start to go, well, what if these were switched? Like, what if Emma Watson was playing Charlie's character and like it was a different gender and Ezra Miller was playing the I want to get into college and you kind of start seeing this and you're like, all of these actors could probably nail all three of the characters that they're all playing yep. because they just have this really good chemistry between them. And I always find that interesting in ensemble kind of movies, even though it's really Charlie's movie. I was yeah. also it worried. It covers Sam and Patrick a lot. Oh, yeah, yeah well, I was pretty worried when the movie came out that um, Emma Watson might be too distracting because, she was so you know, the other people the can kind of melt into the characters a little bit, but like being like, oh, it's Hermione, you know, but she was great. She was and phenomenal. I, yeah, I really liked having the chance to see her as another character. I thought she did a great job. Mm -hmm. They yeah. really like the reviews and stuff when the movie first came out, they were really sticking on that. They were like, Hermione, no more. She yeah. graduated from Hogwarts. Yeah. Two thumbs up. Like, yeah. Which I okay. think was a great transition, too, yeah. because it was such a low-key movie, like really indie film basically coming of age that totally. a different group of kids could enjoy and also harry potter fans were willing to watch because they see hermione there right mm -hmm. yeah and i definitely i like logan lerman a lot he does a good job i hadn't really seen him in too much before this like he was on this tv show called jack and bobby when i was a kid that was like about jfk and rfk huh. and oh. he was supposed <laughs> to be rfk but um he was really good on that and then okay. I like saw Percy Jackson and then this and I was like, okay. I'm sold. <laughs> oh, I never for I always forget that he's in Percy Jackson. The only thing I remember yeah, from Percy, Percy Jackson, Jackson is bearded Pierce Brosnan with a horse body. Yep. Yeah. That cause that is just what else is this? Centaur. Movie? I need to just I need to show you guys I have a printed out full body centaur. twenty-six really? inch by thirty-six <laughs> inch of Pierce. No, I don't, but Jeez. I really I, want one now. I believed you like a hundred percent. I was like, I have some goofy shit on my walls. Yeah. I was already like I don't want that on the wall. <laughs> Just speaking of that, um, about how it might be distracting, Alex lent me the DVD to watch the movie because I hadn't actually seen it before. And I looked at the cover and I was like, oh, wow, The Flash. Oh, wow, Hermione. Oh, wow, Percy Jackson. <laughs> oh, good. Um, but then they were all like really phenomenal and I was able to just enjoy the movie without thinking like, you know, you're also you also go to Hogwarts. Like, why are you worried about getting into Penn State? Right. Hollywood has a way of uh, finding their like 16 year old uh, white people that they want yeah. to be famous for the next 20 years Aww. and just giving them everything. Basically, but that's yeah. why this movie is so interesting because like it 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 garnered like people like Paul Rudd and Dylan McDermott and Kate Walsh like uh, like they're joining in on this movie. Like this problem, this movie is probably a lot of fun to make. 
I bet. First off. And the fact that it's got this like really good three young characters at the core of it just goes to show like why they were hired to do those other jobs in the first place. Yeah. Or eventually like as probably a pretty Mm -hmm. low budget movie too, because it's, it's a lot of like real life sets. I think, is it in Pittsburgh? Is it outside Pittsburgh? Um, that's I feel where like it the, takes place. I yeah, don't know the if they actually like. Film I think it is. Yeah, because I've I've uh, I've seen some other photos of Pittsburgh, and I've driven in and out of it a few times. I'm pretty sure it's just like like all those scenes of them in their in their truck driving around. I think are are pretty on. So probably a pretty fun one to make. Yeah. Uh, and so the second scene <laughs> that makes me right. uh, start oh, right. tearing up. I know this Uh-oh. is this is how we're guiding this. So much crying. Scene one and scene two. Um, is the reveal of where his trauma stems from. Ah. He's having his little panic attack, calls his sister Candace on the phone, and that immediate Candace saying, someone call the police. Like, I'm immediately like, what's going to happen to my Charlie? I've already seen this. I know it's nothing too bad, but oh no. And I start tearing up almost immediately. That scene I really loved because um, up until that point, I don't want to say that uh, Candace was like a bad sister, but she was the typical older sister that, you know, she's 18, she's going to college, she didn't want to deal with her younger brother. But then when he calls her panicking, she immediately goes into big sister mode and is like, okay, here's what you need to do, here's what I'm going to do, and like starts talking him down. And that was very touching to me. I seem to remember liking her more in the book, although it's been a little while since I've read the book. There are a couple of things, like Candace is a much bigger character, like she gets pregnant, has the abusive boyfriend, gets an abortion. This was a deleted scene. Two that I watched. Oh, and really? They do, oh, they I didn't do watch the that. entire subplot they do. where the sister has more scenes leading up to. And uh. then these were the couple, there was a couple scenes that were deleted just because of the structuring. Mm-hmm. And like, because they op- include the boyfriend smacking her. Yes. Once. And they, uh, yeah, they just once. The, the, the original opening was something like he, he gets wheeled into a hospital. And they show him a typewriter and they're like, don't you remember? You remember how happy you were when you brought this home on Christmas? And 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 then it just like fades away. And then I think we're led to believe that these events are happening afterwards. And when he gets gifted the typewriter halfway through the movie, we go, oh, this is before. Uh, What's so going like to happen? And then they, they do the okay. whole like everything with the sister. I'm kind of glad they didn't do it like that. I'm glad they didn't do it like that too. But the, the scene with the sister and going to the um, the clinic is like, very sweet. I think that would have given her a little more depth mm-hmm. in the movie. I mean, mm-hmm. it, there's probably just not enough time for it. But yeah, yeah. I, I think that's the biggest reason why that subplot and a number of other uh, things that go on in the book are just taken out just because, you just know, they time. had an hour and a half. They got to yeah. focus, yeah. yeah. And totally. it's, but like the scene has like a really good moment when they come back to the house, uh, Charlie and Candace, and they have to improv lie to their parents about where they mm-hmm. were. And Charlie just says, we went to a movie, but like doesn't expect like the mom's immediately like, which movie you see? And the sister who just went through this traumatizing life event, she like pulls it together real quick and she's like, just some silly rom-com thing. You wouldn't even want to know about it. Like knows exactly what to say to her mom to like make her mom just like completely disinterested in the conversation. And it's great. It's yeah. like a really good scene. And I'm sad they dropped it out, but you can check it out on the deleted scenes. Like the, it's like cool. twenty minutes of deleted that. scenes in the movie. Ah. They're all and, worth it. In yeah. a much, in a much more comedic fashion, that happens in an episode of Scrubs, where 
girls, whenever they don't want the male doctors to be to be listening, they'll just start talking about shoes really quickly, and they'll all fade <laughs> off and go shoes, and they're like, okay, now we can talk about what we really want to talk about. <laughs> I like that idea. <laughs> but I think like w- mentioning this aspect of like things that they cut out, I think that's what makes it such a good adaptation into a movie is because they know exactly what subplots are important enough to keep with the theme even though they're important in the book and even though they're important overall when you change mediums like that you need to cut something out or you need to add something in and i think a lot of other book to movie adaptations don't do it successfully and perks of being a wallflower nails it and i think you had a main reason for that i mean i think the main reason why first off you can't really get mad at what they cut and also mm-hmm. to maybe why it flows so well is that it's all one dude the Stephen chopsky that made that wrote the book he wrote the screenplay and he directed the movie so he got to kill his darlings one way from book to screenplay and then from screenplay to movie like you can't make everything and mm-hmm. you have to figure out exactly what you're doing but he killed his darlings then as well. And he put out the movie, the commentary also that he has on the, on the Blu-ray that you can get that I listened to. He's like so proud of the movie. Like he oh. can't, he can't believe like how well it came out. And I'd like to listen to that. Commentary. It's really, really good because he's, you know, this is not necessarily autobiographical, but like a lot is lifted from his uh, childhood, which is why it takes place in 1991, which is like, he was that age when he was there. And, like, he says stuff about, like, the mixtapes and stuff. He's like, almost every scene where there's a mention of music or a mixtape is a moment I went through. You know, it's like, uh, or he's like, I've heightened them or I've lowered them and I've changed things around. But more or less, like, the, the situation is kind of like him kind of, like, uh, writing the book was like a therapy for him to, like, kind of get over some stuff that might have happened to him that he's not really comfortable with saying that it's a it's autobiographical. But he, I, I think he threw a number out there, like... He's like, 70% of the movie like happened to me or okay. friends that I know. Right. And then the other 30% is just made up because people like fun stories. Right. Mm-hmm. Well, I think it's like a, a probably a cathartic experience of like how to deal with mental illness and Ta-da. get it on the table, but in like a and fun way. And how to work way. with trauma. Yeah. yeah. And I like like the music in the book. Um, not all the songs are totally disclosed. Like I like the idea that it's like, um, that song that they listen to going through the tunnel, you don't really know what that song is in the book. And I think that's on purpose because he wants you to be able to just imagine whatever awesome song you like. Yeah. Now, Whereas you, in the you movie, told this to me before. I did. And, uh, in the movie, it's in, Dave Bowie. In researching the book. Works really well. <laughs> in researching the book, I think it's the song that they use at the end when Charlie yeah. stands up. You don't know what the song is. But yes. the song when Sam is is there in the book is Landslide by yeah. Fleetwood Mac. Right. Okay, and then they so they just change it to heroes and use it for both of them in the movie. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Because yeah, it's supposed to be at the end of the book. You don't know what song's playing, um, but it's that's kind of a cool move, I think, to I leave agree. it open. Mm-hmm. But that again for the movie. That's again something, something when you when you, <laughs> you when you move from you like <laughs> when you move from like subjective uh, interpretation, which like is just books and stuff like that, to the obvious objective things uh, with movies. You're gonna have to do that. You can't just be like drown out the sound so you don't know what the song is that's going to be a little less engaging especially with a movie that is based around the idea like man i want to buy the soundtrack to this movie it's a good soundtrack yeah um that also reminds me now i've mentioned this in a previous episode i used to read twilight fan fiction um (laughs) oh yeah yeah and in in one of them 
they have like a bit music as a big part of like them getting through whatever sleep that they're gonna try to muster through. Wait, so it's the pause. same. It's twi- the same it's Twilight. The same. I only read the before. one. Okay, and I say like. But it was so many chapters. Like, it went oh, okay. on. It was, like, a weekly thing. Is this Fifty Shades of Grey? <laughs> no. Oh, okay. But I know that Fifty Shades of Grey started as a Twilight fan fiction. Of course. Um, <laughs> and so they're very nondescript of what music that they listen to. And then, like, throughout the comments every week, you see, like, people guessing what it is. And finally, the author reveals that she, they're always listening to Linkin Park. Whatever song you want to imagine, it's Linkin Park. <laughs> That's hilarious. <laughs> and I was like, that fits. <laughs> Linkin Park, underrated band. I'm just telling. I'm yeah. just saying. Oh, yeah. It's okay. not underrated. I think it's exactly rated. Like, everyone's had a Linkin Park phase, no? No. I think that's pretty accurate. Uh, decent people have not had every, Lincoln Park not faces. Not everyone will admit they've had a Lincoln well, Park Oh, yeah, face. that's even better. I yeah. think, okay. you know. Yeah, but, uh, I, w- I will say I, I do know some people that as I get to know them, eventually it's revealed like, oh, you did have a Lincoln Park phase. Why haven't we talked about this before? <laughs> yeah, that's like everybody tries to claim that they don't like Smash Mouth, but all you got to do is go, Sam. <laughs> and ever somebody's going to finish that line. Okay, that might be Shrek's fault. Oh, we don't that know. Is, <laughs> it's, Shrek's fault. It's possible. <laughs> That's a Shrek phase, not a Smash Mouth phase. And we all had those. Let's be honest. <laughs> I'm still in one. <laughs> um, but overall, when I read through the book, it was a very important time in my life. It, I was going to college. It was a new experience for me, and that experience of loneliness that Charlie was feeling, I was feeling as well. Um, my friend who was going abroad to Africa, I recommended the book right as he was leaving and he finished it in one weekend and told me almost the exact same thing of, I felt so lonely here and he did too. And I related so much to it that I cried and it helped. (laughs) And, uh, my friend Monica Cleary, uh, was the one who recommended it to me like four years before I read it. And I was like, well, now that the movie's coming out, I'll finally read it. Yeah. I think a lot of people have had that experience with this book. Um, I think the funny thing is, is I had heard that from a good friend of mine, uh, Damian Masterson, who's been on a couple of the story screen podcasts or or one who's going to be on more. He had really, really identified with this book a lot. And um, I think I had a lot of hype when I read it. So to me, I was a little bit like, I don't know if I like this as much as everybody liked it. But then when I saw the movie, I was like, oh, they did a really good job of it. So it made me like the book more because I kind of wanted to go back and give it another read. But I definitely, um, going through it the first time, all of the books that the English teacher recommends to him throughout the book are books that a lot of them either I read in high school or my older sister had recommended to me. So I kind of identify with that flow where I was like, oh, I loved Catcher in the Rye, and that was probably my original Perks of Being a Wallflower, where I was upset and feeling kind of lonely or angry and uh-huh. identified with the character. So. Yeah. Joe, what was that scene you mentioned where uh, Charlie gives Mary Elizabeth a book? Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. So um, in in the book, he uh, gives her one of the books. I think it might actually be Catcher in the Rye. Or is it To Kill a Mockingbird? It is To Kill a Mockingbird. But in the movie, he doesn't give it to her. He just, like, has it with him and she picks it up. But in both scenarios, she basically makes fun of it. And it's like, oh, I read this in, like, seventh grade and, like, it's not really mature enough for me. 
I love that scene to really establish my hate for Mary Elizabeth. Yeah. Because who criticizes to kill a mockingbird? <laughs> she's she's kind of a cool character because she's just kind of a snot and you don't like her and you understand exactly why Charlie should not be mm-hmm. dating her. But then when he does, you know, we, we talked about his truth or dare mm-hmm. a little bit before. It's, yeah, it's fucked up no matter who oh, you do it to. It still yeah. hurts. <laughs> You're still like, no, 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 don't do that. Yeah. <laughs> and Mary Elizabeth is played by Egg from uh, Arrested Development, so that's a nice Her? touch too. <laughs> is she Egg? a good cook or something? Yeah. <laughs> what, is she funny or something? <laughs> It's, um, it's so mean in the show. It's, it's, it's like the funniest, meanest thing that exists. Um, so you guys were talking a little bit about um, how these, how the book and how the movie was kind of just what you needed and how like other people needed it. I talked about this with you, Alex, off mic, but um, I think this was what 13 Reasons Why, which is also a book to TV show adaptation, was going for, mm. but they kind of missed the mark on, you know, the transition from book to screen. Because I've heard a lot of people... Did you read those? I never did. I did not read I the book. I watched them, but I've I didn't read them. I've heard pretty much nothing but great things about the book. And then the movie is pretty mixed bag, I, mostly leaning negative. I enjoyed the first season pretty well, um, but without having read the books. Mm-hmm. And uh, yeah, now the second season is like a little too much. Yeah. The first season has issues, but I can, like, see some defenses of it. Mm -hmm. But then the second season, I was like, oh, no, man, this is... over it. They definitely relied on the source material because the second season um, doesn't have the book. Right. So they're just making it up. Right. The first season of that show is another show where I was like, oh, this soundtrack is pretty killer, though. Right. And it definitely can make or break the mood of an Mm -hmm. episode, whereas I felt like that was really well done in the movie for a wallflower too. I definitely think that that's really important when you go from book to movie, figuring out that perfect soundtrack, that score and soundtrack is two different things. Totally. Um, I think I've only ever bought two scores and one of them was Perks of Being a Wallflower where you hear the ding, 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 and like i'm gonna have to give that another lesson it is amazing and they're like i'm listening in the car and it comes up on shuffle and i'm like no i can't do this i can't cry right now i can't cry while i'm driving sometimes that's the best place to cry i feel like it would endanger other vehicles probably right and then that makes me cry harder and it's just and uh like diana was saying about um you know, the idea of adapting a book where it's like you adapt it into like a, a season of TV and then it's like, well, we're out of material, but the the show's a success. Mm-hmm. Let's do something else. And now we're going to build upon what the book did. And that's kind of fun in a way, like where I guess 13 I mean, they're reasons, doing that with Handmaid's Tale. Which is what I was getting to. Oh, is like that. No, no, it's fine. <laughs> it's uh, 13 reasons why I guess that's like a... That's like a like a bad way that I guess that it went because uh, I haven't watched the show. I I tend to not watch shows that star Jack's son in them uh, from Lost. From Lost, yeah. Who's fake? Oh, really? in it's my just opinion... it's not because of him. It's just usually the things that he's in. I'm like I'm not well, very interested in that. He's he's very good in Thirteen Reasons Why, but he's also like weird doppelganger for kid that plays Charlie. I was he's like fake the same Logan way. Lerman. Yeah, Fake they're that look. They're that kind of like sixteen-year-old. Like the kid's actually twenty years old, yeah. but he looks like a sixteen-year-old emo teenager. The yeah. kid that twenty-year-old puts... white kid that we can make famous. Yeah, yeah. he reads poetry. Yeah, yeah. he uh, he puts gel in his hair and parts it to the side. 
That's the, he's got this weird <laughs> classic look. Yeah, he looks like he's oh, he looks like he's got a bad relationship with his dad. Yeah, both of them. <laughs> Leave me alone, Wait, dad. Do people have good relationships with their dad? Is that I, I, I am not the person. <laughs> yeah, we don't okay. need to talk about that here. Um, but yeah, Handmaid's Tale is like a really good version of that, where it's like they did the whole book in season one, and then they moved on to season two, and now they're just kind of making it up, and like they've got. Um, is Margaret Margaret Atwood? Yeah, the, she advises. She's like, I really like where they're taking this. They took all my ideas and they're so expanding on sad. them, and it's very sad and depressing, and it's a hard show to watch. But it's one of the best shows on TV, totally. And I think that's fun with adaptations. You have to figure yeah. out a way to really push it forward, and either you can't do a carbon copy because mm-hmm. one, people have already read that, they've already experienced it. You're never going to top their imagination. So you need to try and be like, how can I do this in a different way? Right. And that's what's kind of fun. Like older books, like making movies like The Great Gatsby, like that should work. But you get people involved with it that are just, I don't think, get what made the book so successful. Mm -hmm. They just try and make their version of it, why they thought The Great Gatsby, why Baz Luhrmann thought The Great Gatsby was cool. And they just completely miss the point of Gatsby's character and Gatsby's relationship to Nick in that. Sorry, I'm a big Great Gatsby fan. (laughs) But it's like, it's a perfect example because it's a very old book that got made into a brand new movie and they just, they had all the time in the world to figure out just the right way to tell it and they either pull it off or they don't. Mm. Yeah, and I think um, the point that you guys brought up before was that the author of the book also wrote the screenplay and directed it. Like you just said, he got what made the book special. He knew what needed to be said and what didn't so like he was obviously like the best person that could get it Mm -hmm. and made it like the a very i in my opinion a very successful book to movie adaptation but there are often times where authors write something and then it gets on like a story of its own and everyone thinks it means one thing and the author's like no that's not what i meant Mm -hmm. and the rest of us are like that's too bad it's how we interpreted it oh yeah Yeah. sounds very star wars it's and uh, fahrenheit 451 (laughs) totally which is not about censorship according to the author but at a certain point an author needs to give up their art and be like well if this is how people interpreted it this is what it is now (laughs) that's true uh but overall going back to like the soundtrack with the great gatsby had a phenomenal soundtrack, but it wasn't enough to like yeah. make it worthy of be even being compared to the book. Like it still mm-hmm. didn't match because something was missing. They missed. I think what you were explaining was the Nick and Gatsby relationship. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and the uh, the idea of score and soundtrack. Uh, you mentioned specifically score before, and so I think one of the greatest book to movie adaptations of all time, the Harry Potter series. Um, oh, yeah, John crit- Critically or not, you yeah. have to admit, like, it is iconic, and you hear that da 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 da, and you yep. immediately know what it is. That's, we've talked about this on the uh, on our Story Screen Presents right. podcast multiple mm-hmm. times that John Williams, John Williams yeah. has made some themes that are just like. He's made like epic The themes. Superman yeah. theme. That sounds like Superman. Before they made the movie, Superman didn't have a theme. Right. It was kind of just like cartoon stuff, like. But like that theme is just like like think about Star Wars, think about Indiana Jones and yep. Harry Potter, Jaws. Jurassic Park. Jurassic mm-hmm. Park. That, That's the whole reason that they made more Jurassic Park movies. Yeah. Is just because they were like, oh, we can dubstep the John Williams thing in the trailers, <laughs> and that's all they're selling it on. They're like, do you like the way the movie looks? You like the way it sounds, don't you? I do have to say, when I first saw the um, new Jurassic World trailer. 
And the, at the end of it, I was like, oh, the Jurassic Park theme is spooky now. It and totally I'll is. I'll go see this movie. Of course. <laughs> Even in uh, the Hunger Games, they have the whistle. Uh... Oh, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> well, I like that, too, because I read the Hunger Games. It was, I... I really enjoyed the first I, two. I stumbled across the book, and me and my friend, my roommate at the time, devoured them, like, each in two days. Mm -hmm. And then, like, we would get the other one. So while one was reading the other one, like, we'd be reading the other one. So we actually, the two of us read all three of the books probably eight days. Wow. Oh, they were all out at that point? They were all out at that time. Because I think I read the first two and the last book wasn't out yet. And then we were all, like, waiting to see what was going to happen. Right. (laughs) They had, like, just announced the movie and we were like, oh, the girl from X-Men is in it. Yeah. Cool. And so we just read the books and really liked the books. And... One of the Mockingjay was going to be she so hard to make. At that point? I don't even know if she was. I think maybe the first Hunger Games came out, and then uh, X Men started. I think yeah. no, I think First Class was right before Hunger Games. I'm yeah. fairly certain. Yeah, could be wrong, but it's yeah. right around the same mind. thing. Yeah. <laughs> um, but yeah, that's another really bad like adaptation thing where like they took Mockingjay, and the thing that makes Mockingjay really good is that the first half is a slow burn spy thriller kind of stuff. And the third and the last act is like a huge bombastic spectacle. Mm-hmm. And they just split that into two movies. So now you just have a movie that's boring and a movie that's just like Too a much. bunch of shit happening. Exactly. And like you guys did not plan that out correctly. Yeah. Yeah. And I think a big part of the Hunger Games series in the book was demonstrating this idea of like overthrowing a government requires you like, that doesn't fix the problem yet. You still need to replace it with something. Oh, yeah. The end of Hunger Games so, is great. And so, like, in the book, you realize, like, oh, they, the person you're going to replace it with, that's it's not gonna, Not good either. Yeah, that's not yeah. good either. So what is the solution here? In the movie, you don't really see how bad the replacement government is going to be. And right. so you're sort of like, wait, why did she shoot that arrow into yeah. her instead? And it's just, it leaves you, like, a little confused instead of, like, excited, like, whoa. Yeah, I guess that's something that, because I had read the books before I finally saw Mockingjay, and I, saw, I, I so I knew what was going to happen, so their interpretation of it was maybe a little bit more clearer for me, okay. because I had read the book. It didn't need to be two movies. No, it did not. Yeah, I think that came out of, I could be wrong, Harry but Potter. yeah, Harry Potter split <laughs> Deathly Hallows into two, and so then Twilight split its fourth mo- its also last movie into two parts. <laughs> Hunger Games split it into two parts. I think uh, the Maze Runner is going to do it in two parts. Or oh, did it in two parts? I'm not no, 100% sure. No, I actually sure. just watched that Death Cure yeah. one. Not as terrible as I thought it would be. Yeah, mm-hmm. I, th- I really like the first Maze Runner movie. The second one is not as good as the books. Because I, I listen to those on audiobook and they're a lot oh, yeah. of fun. Yeah. Yeah. But overall, like, I want to talk a little bit more about Harry Potter. Um, the Warner Bros. logo... If you watch all of the Warner Bros. intros back to back, you see it become from a lighthearted kids movie to like oh, this yeah. really dark, brooding, like teenage uh, angst movie. What's it called? The Dark Mark? Like yeah. The, the tattoo? Yeah. yeah. It's like you're like, oh, crap. And, and that's what <laughs> I think of like when you think of all the music that goes into each movie, you can also hear the music change from movie to movie and what they focus on. In, like, the first movie, it's all of the spectacles, all of the holidays, all of this idea of having family that loves you. Oh, what a concept. And then <laughs> by the seventh book, it's all, like, survival. <laughs> totally. That, that's the same way that the books uh, escalate. Like, I'm at, like, the perfect age where, like, the books were coming out and I was 
Harry's age as the books were coming out. Nice. So, like, when they started when he was, like, 11, like, that's how old I was when the first book came out. And I got to, in America, and I got to just ride the thing with that. So, like, as I got older and got more interested, like, when I started getting interested in girls is when... Goblet of Fire came out, and you're like, oh, oh, okay, yeah, sure. And then, like, when you realize, like, girls are going to break your heart and stuff, so, like, screw that. There's when Order of the Phoenix came out, and, like, that's what that book is about. And they they really do, like, I like how the books start out kind of, like, for kids and really kind of age mm-hmm. into that kind of teen melodrama angsty stuff. And then the seventh one, at the end of the day, is really all about, like, a 19-year-old kid learning about life and death and like how shit works Mm -hmm. yeah um but overall in the movies i would say some movies are hit or miss when i'm comparing them to the books and a big part of it has to do with understanding that when you're switching from mediums you need to cut things out but the things that they chose to cut out i felt like really lost a lot of the book's energy or even like themes there were times too when I felt like they created things for the movie that weren't even in the books that I was like, I know you need to cut stuff out. Why did you just make up something new, not needed? Speaking of that, <laughs> that um, always would make me angry. <laughs> yeah. So um, Logan Lerman plays Percy Jackson in the right. Percy Jackson movies, and those those were some of my favorite books. They're growing really up. fun. Yeah. Yeah. But then when I love they. Went into the movies, they did exactly what you just said. They basically yeah. scrapped the story from the book and made a completely new story. Where, like, you can tell, like, oh, I remember that part from the book. That part's actually from the next book. I don't know why you put it in this movie. And yeah. it's just like, why'd you bother? I guess for name recognition, but that alone was like, you might as well have just made a movie by a different name. Yeah, this isn't when the you same have a story. fan base with the books, you don't really need to do that. Yeah. But. And you've seen the Percy Jackson movies, so you're probably more familiar with I've them seen than the I am. First one, mm-hmm. but I've I like I've read all the Harry Potter books probably about four times over now, mm-hmm. and I've seen all the movies a bunch of times. I oh, like yeah. they're two separate things to me. The version of the Harry Potter story that I get in the movies, regardless of how soon it was when the books were written that they started making the movies, which it was very soon. They capitalized on it very quickly. Right. They're two different versions. Like, mm-hmm. uh, what's the ghost's name? In Harry Potter, in the books that they... Not Nearly Headless, headless Nick? Not Nearly Headless Nick. Moaning Myrtle? No, like Poe? Pog? Oh, no, the one... Oh, that's the, really annoying. the guy Peeves. that's like a... a Peeves. 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 Yeah. He's not, he's not mm-hmm. in any not of the movies. Either. He's not even referenced. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And he's one of the funnest parts. He's got one of the best scenes in the Deathly Hallows. Like, and I think it's in Chamber of Secrets is the Halloween party that they just completely cut out of the movie. Yeah. Mm. And it's like, that's one of the best... Uh, parts of all of the books is like that chapter where it's like they're going to the Halloween party that all of the ghosts have and stuff and Harry, Hermione and Ron go down there like that's really fun but it doesn't make the Chamber of Secrets movie worse for that it's like no that wouldn't have fit into the tone of this this tone is very dour and god it's kind of creepy and Mm -hmm. they wouldn't want to put that goofiness in there so that's a a good change where it's I like the thing that's in the book but I also really like that they didn't try and squeeze it into the movie just to appease fans of the book because then it it just wouldn't make sense yeah that's how I feel about the Marvel movies because you know there are some people that are like oh well it happens this way in the comics and it's like well yeah but you know they've deviated you know, right. a decent amount now. A and so yeah. there's the MCU, which is great. And then there's the Marvel Comics universe, which is also great. You can so, enjoy both. Yeah. Right. yeah. There, I will say, like, I agree that some things should change just because, again, it's just an 
you want to imagine it as something completely new. But I also think that sometimes Hollywood tries to give those twists to surprise the comic book readers, mm -hmm. but it's completely ineffective because mm. it also loses the audience. I'm thinking specifically of Iron Man 3 and the Mandarin, yeah, uh. where they make him like an actor. And it's just like, what? Yeah. You just destroyed... A lot of potential here <laughs> totally for like a little joke yeah <laughs> so it's not always good but i i dig the joke in that but i am also like i knew who the mandarin was and so right. i'm on the other side where i'm like pretty cool twist mm -hmm. i think i like it in iron man 3 because of like the i like it for the exact same reason that i can totally understand people not liking it is that the marketing campaign was all centered around Ben Kingsley as the bad guy in the new Iron Man movie. Right. And he's got that voice. And it's right after Joker and Dark Knight and stuff. So everybody's like, this is going to be great. And then they pull the rug out from under you. I kind of like, I dig that attitude. But that's the exact reason why people would be like, I feel like I was just disrespected. I feel like yeah. I was just lied <laughs> see, to I and I didn't sign up for this. I was okay when that happened in Deadpool 2, when we see the X-Force team and all of the trailers. Right. And then in the movie, you see that they all die immediately. Oh, man. That I was, was okay great. with the rug being pulled from under me. <laughs> that was pretty Because epic. it was like a joke. Yeah. They yeah. basically was, made fun of me and I was hilarious. okay with that. Yeah. And, and I, I, as funny as the Iron Man movies are and that franchise and Tony Stark's character... We can agree that Deadpool is more of like a aggressively comic yes. uh, enterprise, yeah, right? And so it kind of works out a little bit more. But that's a really good comparison, dude. Like that's those are like the exact same things, and it's all mm -hmm. about the tact that you're going into it and who your audience is. And mm -hmm. some people are they're watching an Iron Man movie that's about PTSD, and then you <laughs> get this weird like kind of makeshift joke and they were like oh no actually the memento guy's the bad guy and you're like well i already kind of figured that out too but like all right but ben kingsley's also great in that role like oh he, he's so good when he turns it yeah. on and off i love it uh mike just mentioned knowing your audience and i think that is a big part of what we're getting at is knowing who this movie's for and what needs to be said in it mm. is like the big part of what makes or breaks a book to movie adaptation yeah if you're going to be shifting from book to movie Get as many people who were involved in the book also involved in the movie. Don't just buy the rights and then use the title. <laughs> right. Get everyone involved so that you, you already have a built-in audience. Shift them over to the movie. That'll do it for this episode. Thank you all so much for listening. Please tune in next week when we talk about comedian John Mulaney and childhood experiences. If you liked us, find us on Twitter and Instagram at 2 underscore bald men. And find us on Facebook. And don't forget to rate and subscribe to us on Apple Podcasts. Thank you all so much again, and if you were driving, we hope you got to your destination safely and on time.